Yeah, we had this whole thing where uh, it was going to be super cool and our new members were going to lead us in the Apostles' Creed, and I totally blanked. Uh, I, f- I forgot that. And I forgot to introduce Nick's parents. Uh, we're really thankful you guys are here on a, a really wonderful celebration, so thanks for joining us. Hey, let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 14, and we are continuing this, uh, we're, we're calling it a mini-series on the Lord's Supper. Uh, we didn't want to just blast right past uh, Jesus's words of institution and, and do a little bit of digging about what is the Lord's Supper and why do we take it and what does Jesus want us to, to gain from it? Uh, these are important questions. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper next Sunday, so want to just ask you to be preparing your hearts this week as we look forward to taking uh, the body and blood of Jesus next Sunday. So let's... Uh, If you've got your place in Mark 14, I'm going to read verses 22 to 25. And again, I'll just ask you to stand in honor of God's word. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Father, we ask for your blessing on the reading, the hearing, and the receiving of your word. Uh, please show us more of Jesus and conform us more to Jesus and help us look forward to being uh, with him forever. In his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Uh, last week we were talking about Jesus' statement, this is my body, which is for you. And, and in that regard, we were thinking about how the supper is really for strangers. Uh, Jesus welcomes the whole world, uh, everyone who is is longing to belong, and he offers us fellowship with him, fellowship with one another, and we get that through his body, really, like literally through the body of the church. And today we're going to focus on his statement, this is the blood of the covenant, and then next Sunday we'll sort of wrap up this series with his promise, when Jesus says, this is my promise basically, that I'm I'm not going to drink this again until I, I drink it anew in the kingdom. So there's this future orientation as well. But, but this morning when, when Jesus talks about his blood, it brings up a topic that I think not all of us are super excited to talk about, uh, blood. <laughs> some, some of you get a little queasy uh, around blood. You see blood and you get faint. Uh, blood isn't pleasant to talk about and, uh, and neither is sin. Uh, so, but that's, that's what we're going to focus on this morning, uh, that the blood of Jesus is for sinners. This table is for sinners. It's for strangers. It's for sinners. Next week, we'll talk about how it's for saints, but, but we need to grapple with the fact that it's for sinners. And we're going to focus on remembrance and repentance and reverence uh, as we look at what did Jesus mean when he said, this cup is the new covenant and in my blood which is for the forgiveness of many. Uh, Paul gives uh, a summary of of these, we call them the words of institution. And and that's where we get this idea of remembrance from. Uh, Paul in 
1 Corinthians 11.25 explains it in the same way Jesus took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of, of me. And so we have to think about what does it mean to take this supper in remembrance of Jesus? Well, uh, probably no surprise that we have to think about the past. If we're going to remember Jesus, we think about his life, his death, his resurrection. I mean, these are the, the facts, the historical facts of our faith. Uh, we don't just believe in uh, philosophy. We're not just believing a fairy tale or, or certainly not fiction. Uh, it's rooted in fact, uh, as, as all history is. History exists in time and in space and and there is a place in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, an upper room where Jesus gathered his disciples and they ate a real meal and they passed a real cup. And this was factual, historical. And we remember that, just like we remember people like George Washington, just like we remember people like Thomas Jefferson and he lived in Monticello and you can go there today. It's a place, it's real uh, just like we remember uh, Alexander Hamilton with a real musical about him. You know, these are factual things, real things. And Jesus calls us to remember uh, this meal, remember him, what he did for us uh, as something that's real. And we, we were sort of talking about that last week, weren't we? Um, so that's one way to think about remembrance is the past, you know, facts and history that that affects the present. And, and that's an additional way that we have to remember Jesus is remembering the present. We don't just remember the past, we remember the present. Well, what do you mean remember the present? Like the present is now, we're not remembering the past, we're, we're, we're here now. And, and what we mean by remembering the present is to bring the past into the present. Uh, so for instance, some might look at the Lord's Supper and, and think of it sort of the same way that we, we think of Memorial Day, uh, where as a country, we pause and we remember fallen heroes, you know, brave men and women who served our country and gave their lives so that we could have our rights and our freedoms preserved so that we could be doing what we're doing now. They made that sacrifice for us. And, and, and on Memorial Day, we remember that sacrifice and we honor uh, those men and women. And, and some might, might regard this table in the same way, kind of like it's Memorial Day for Jesus, who made the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom to redeem us from sin and slavery to sin and so that we might have a hope and a future. And so at the Lord's Supper, it's sort of this Memorial Day attitude where, where we remember Jesus and we honor his memory. And, and certainly we remember Jesus historically, but it's not Memorial Day. That's not what we mean. Uh, you know, guys like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Alexander Hamilton, they're dead. They did their thing for us and we're grateful and we honor their memory, but Jesus is alive. He's not dead anymore because we're not just remembering his death, we're remembering his resurrection and he's with us. We're not remembering somebody in the past, Jesus is still with us and we're communing uh, with him, which is why one of the names of the Lord's Supper is to break bread, right? Or, 
or communion uh, is, is what uh, we call it. Those are biblical titles for what this meal represents. Um, you know, when we think about other names, we think of the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. And uh, some of you might be inclined to think of this as the last supper. You know, when you think of Da Vinci's mural and, um, and, and you know, how it's fading and they're trying to preserve it and all that. Well, um, the Lord's table and the Lord's supper, those are biblical names. The last supper is not. In fact, it's not even accurate because it's not the Lord's last supper. Just ask the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They, they had another meal with Jesus. He broke bread in their presence and they recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread. <clears throat> and Jesus continues to have his meal with us. It's anything but the Last Supper. He meets with us every single time we come to this table in the present. And we're bringing the, the past into the present as we take this meal. Um, uh, I'll refer to Paul again. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, he's actually got a lot to say about the Last Supper by way of correction even. Uh, we don't just come to this table any old way we choose. Uh, we we want to understand what it represents. We want to take it in a way that acknowledges this table is holy. It's set apart by God. Yes, Jesus invites the whole world, but, but we want to know what we're doing when we come so that we don't eat or drink judgment on ourselves, as Paul refers to. Because some... Uh, in taking this meal improperly, didn't understand what was going on in the present. Uh, he, he mentions those who drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons, uh, which I can imagine that language sounds puzzling uh, to some modern ears. Um, you know, when you think about the table of demons, and what is that all about? Well, uh, think of all the different um, Greco-Roman gods and goddesses uh, and people who would make a sacrifice to maybe it's Zeus or to Artemis or to Apollo or to the unknown god. And then they would gather their family together and they would have a feast in honor of that deity, that idol, that demon. Uh, and they're all about, hey, isn't this great that we're having this fellowship meal, a communion with that false deity. And Paul is saying there is an understanding in the outside world that when that animal is made that is sacrificed to that deity that they're communing with that deity even though it's a false deity even though it's not you know um, spiritually accurate when we come together and we take the lord's supper we are communing with the true god with the real god and so that is what we have to understand is that, that this is a communion table uh, maybe some of you have heard the word uh, koinonia. It, it, you know, cool, uh, hip churches will call their, their singles group koinonia. You know, it sounds edgy. Uh, I don't know, but it means fellowship, right? You've heard the word fellowship. And, and communion and fellowship are the same thing. 
Uh, and, and so this is a fellowship table where we are remembering the present. Jesus is with us. We're remembering that he's with us. Uh, spiritually, he is present uh, in this meal. Now, we might be excused from you know, this Memorial Day perspective on the Lord's table because that's just, in English, that's what we think about with the word remember. But maybe it's better and would help us to think that of this as a, a representation representation or a reenactment, you know, um, where you bring the past into the present. Uh, the people who do the Civil War reenactments, you know, they're not just going, oh, you know, let's remember the Civil War. No, they're putting on the uniforms and they're getting out the camp gear and putting up the tent and they've got their rifles and there's cannons and there's smoke and there's noise and there's, you know, all, all the different elements of that reenactment because they're bringing the past into the present. Or, uh, I liked, um, we, we, we were watching Disney Plus and there's a fun series called Encore and they, uh, Kristen Bell hosts it, K-Bell, you know, uh, she hosts it and they, they gather these people 20 to 30 years after they've been in high school and, uh, and they represent the high school musical that, uh, that they were in 20 or 30 years ago. So um, I, I did a little bit of theater in high school and I was in Biloxi Blues. It wasn't, wasn't a musical, but I was Sergeant Toomey. And it would be like K-Bell calling me up saying, hey, Essen, come on uh, with your friends from 30 years ago who were in Biloxi Blues with you. And we're gonna put that show on again. We're gonna represent it. Uh, and, and that's what you know, Encore's about. We're representing uh, what Jesus did for us. He, bringing the past into the present. Let me make one thing really, really clear. He's not being sacrificed again. The, the sacrifice is done. The, the blood is shed. It's, it's, a, it, it's effectual forever. But we are bringing the significance and the importance of that into the presence as we commune with Jesus. This isn't something passive in that sense. So uh, Paul describes it this way, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation, a, a fellowship, uh, a communion in the blood of Christ? Is the bread that we break, is it not a participation, a communion, a fellowship in the body of Christ? So this is much more than a memorial. It's an active communing with the present Jesus. And we remember the future which sounds really crazy. Like, how do you remember the future? Uh, that's something that maybe somebody can, can sort of foretell or maybe they predict, but you certainly don't remember something that hasn't happened yet. Well, yes, you do. If the promises about the future are made by Jesus, whose word is completely sure, it's so sure that we can remember it into the present, uh, and we think about, you know, this in regard to this supper. Uh, sometimes in the church, we, we get a little bit too accustomed to the, the flow of it. And we take that tiny little piece of bread and that thimble full of wine. And we, you know, go, hey, the Lord's Supper, isn't this great? And those outside the church go, that is a ridiculously small piece of bread and a ridiculously tiny cup. And you call that a supper? 
that's something weird there. Uh, and and they, they are sort of right to say that. Well, here's what we need to remember. That piece of bread and that cup, are, they're just a sign. They're a seal of something that is the, the fact and the reality behind that little piece of bread and that little cup. The bread represents, it's a sign of the bread of life of Jesus himself. That's the real feast. We're, we're you know, in that really, really um, graphic way like ingesting the reality of Jesus, internalizing him and, and, and becoming one with him where he nourishes us. The same with the cup. It's the cup of his blood. I mean, my goodness, but, but the life is in the blood. And, and it's the blood of the new covenant of the promises of Jesus for his people. And, and more than that, like, yeah, the, the, the importance is not in that piece of bread, not in that little cup. The importance is in the bread of life and the, the new covenant in Christ's blood. And more than that, this meal is a foretaste of a future meal. We call it the wedding supper of the Lamb. And, and it's talked about, you can read about in Revelation 19. Blessed are all you know, who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This, this future feast. And this is just an indication, just a, a reminder of, of this beautiful feast that's coming. You know, it's like the first course. And, and we're hoping, just like if you sit down to a fancy meal and there's the first course and the second course, and you know, you, you know there's another course coming. If you sit down and they serve the appetizer, you know there's a main course coming. And then you know you're, you're expecting dessert afterward. This is the first course. Would it help to remember the future to call this the, the Lord's appetizer? I don't know. Not a biblical name. Don't go there. But it's just a reminder. This is a foretaste. So we're remembering and, and we're repenting. As we come to this table, we come as sinners. We come as strangers who are welcome, as we talked about last week, and we come as sinners in need of a Savior. And he gives us his body and his blood. And we confess our sins to, to our Father, and we come confessing our sins actually to one another. We confess our sins to our Father because, well, um, we need to know that he wants us to come properly, as, as we've mentioned before. Um, so if you compare this to a normal meal or a, or a dinner party, you, know, you don't show up unannounced to somebody's party you have to be invited. You don't crash somebody's wedding reception. You're invited uh, to that wedding feast. Uh, and so Jesus invites us and we heed his call and we confess our sins and we, and we come. And just like any other meal, especially during COVID, you want to wash your hands and make sure you know, you're, you're clean as you come. And that is what baptism reminds us of. We are baptized first and then we come to this table. We're cleansed first by the blood of Jesus, and then we come as, uh, as invited guests to this table. Uh, James puts it this way, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Jesus in Matthew 26, uh, Matthew describes that this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So when we think of the cross, 
When we think of crucifixion, you and I can't think of crucifixion without, if we're thinking of it accurately and, and realistically, without a, a bloody, violent event taking place. The crucifixion is a, a, a murder. It's, it's bloodshed happening. But it's more than that. The crucifixion is certainly bloodshed, but it's also blood donation. You know, when the Red Cross has a blood drive, when, when we host the blood drives down in the fellowship hall and, and people from, you, you all come and people from the community come and they, and they willingly come and they willingly have, you know, things stuck into their veins and blood drawn from them and put in these bags that end up going to other places throughout our community and throughout our commonwealth that save lives because of the kindness and the generosity of those who donate their blood for the salvation of others. The cross is a place of bloodletting for sure. But it's a place of blood donation as well for all those who come and acknowledge, I am a sinner. I need salvation. I need my guilt taken away. I need my shame removed from me as far as the east is from the west. I want to know that I can live forever in God's presence in a holy place, even though I'm very aware that I am anything but holy. And Jesus shed his blood, donated his blood, to take away our guilt and to give us life and to give us grace and to give us forgiveness and renewal in his presence. Romans 5, as we said in our call to worship, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ donated his blood for us. Revelation talks about to him who loves us and who's freed us from our sins, by his blood. His blood made it possible. Going back to the dinner party or the, you know, the wedding reception kind of analogy, uh, generally you don't show up at somebody's dinner party with empty hands, right? You want to bring, I don't know, a salad or, or a dessert or, or a bottle of wine, right? You know, for the host. And, and, and hey, thanks for having me. Or it's a wedding reception. Here's the wedding gift. And you don't come empty-handed. What do we bring to this feast? What, what, do we, what do we want to present to this host? Like, we bring gifts to a dinner party or to the wedding reception because we kind of don't want to lose face. Like, you're, you're almost looked at sort of like, well, I don't want to be that person who just shows up empty-handed. Hey, thanks for feeding me, and thanks for the party, and, you know, and so on. You feel like you kind of have to give something. You kind of have to, you know, do your part. Sometimes we feel that way about this table, this feast. I got to do my part. I got to measure up. I got to clean myself up. But we can't. What's the only thing, properly speaking, the only thing intrinsic to ourselves, the only thing that we ourselves bring to this table that's not already given to us? There's only one thing that I can think of that I bring to this table that's absolutely mine and mine only. 
and it's my sin. And you bring your sin. And we bring our sin. You know, we're, we used to be in the habit, right, when we would come forward, you come with empty hands. I, I don't have anything to bring except my stained hands. And I need Jesus to wash them. I need to remember his sacrifice for me, his atonement, his justification, his pardon, his cleansing. And that's what I confess to God. And then we, we, we also know that we don't come alone. You don't show up to the dinner party and there's the table and it's all set up and it's beautiful food and everything and everybody's chatting in the living room and the foyer or wherever and, and you go, man, I'm hungry. And you just sit down and you just start you know, stuffing your face. No, you don't do that. You wait. You wait for the host to say, okay, everybody come out and sit around the table and we're going to have a prayer and we're going to ask the Lord's blessing and everybody sit down and okay, you know, let's eat together. And we eat together at this table. And I want you to think about the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And sitting around that table with all of your brothers and sisters in Christ, all who have ever lived and who have ever believed in Jesus and who are pardoned by his blood and they're gathered at that ceremony, at that celebration and you're looking at all their faces and you're experiencing that communion with Jesus and that community with one another. And can you imagine any bitterness around that table? In heaven, in the new creation, is there going to be any unforgiveness, any grudges that people are holding on to? Are there going to be any of those looks, you know, at your holiday meals where you get the whole extended family together and there's that uncle him again. Oh, there's my cousin. Yeah, I remember what she said last time we got together. You know, or just the, the tensions, the stuff underneath the surface, and you can play nice, and you can have a nice meal, and, and you know, you get through it, but you know what I mean, the grudges, the unforgiveness. That's not how we're supposed to come to this table. When we come to this table, we want God's will to be done at this table as it is at the heavenly table where we confess our sins to one another and we ask forgiveness of one another and we grant forgiveness of one another. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And Jesus invites us, look, if you're offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave, the, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Confession is asking grace from others. If you know that you've sinned or you think that somebody thinks you've sinned against them, go and figure that out. Make peace. Why is it so hard for us to confess our sins to each other? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wondered, like, why is it harder sometimes for us to confess to other sinful human beings than to confess our sins to a holy judge? Like, have we really repented? If that's easier... If we fear the judgment of people more than the judgment of God. Bonhoeffer writes, the pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everyone must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. And we dare not be sinners. So 
We remain alone. Alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. And this table invites us to confess your sins to one another. Come as sinners. You're surrounded by sinners. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to be alone. And we can confess to one another. And we grant forgiveness to one another. We ask for grace from others and we give grace to others. Paul says, forgive as the Lord forgave you, right? Like it may shock you in the future at that heavenly supper when you look around that table and you go, I can't believe he is here. I can't believe she made it. Oh my goodness. You know, if you knew the terrible things they had done, right? Jesus forgave them. Jesus welcomed them. And he welcomes you. And he welcomes me. And we have to forgive the way that the Lord forgave us as we repent at this table. Real quick, what does reverence mean? We've talked about remembering, we've talked about repenting, reverence. Reverence is fear. Reverence is the the holy fear of God. Not the servile, cowering fear, but an honoring of, of God who is great and we are not and he is holy and we're sinners and that kind of fear, reverence. Another last little bit about names for this table. Some people call it the Eucharist. Maybe you've heard that word before. Um, Eucharist just basically means thanksgiving. Um, and, and it has as its root the word grace, uh, charis, grace or gift, and its prefix is E-U. U is, is good. Uh, so it's this good gift, this good grace, this great grace. that This table is set before us and we don't deserve it. It's grace to us. Grace is a gift. If you feel like you earned this table, if you deserve to be here, then then it's no longer a gift. It's your paycheck for a job well done. That's not it. It's great grace. And this supper is for sinners. It's an undeserved meal set before guilty men and women who are trusting in Jesus to take away our sins through his blood. Um, Remember in the upper room, like who's Jesus surrounded by? He's surrounded by his followers, of course. You have to be a follower first and then you feast. But man, um, they weren't the best followers as it turned out. You know, Judas, as you know, betrays Jesus. And then, you know, Peter, even though he says, look, I'm I'm willing to die with you. He denies Jesus three times that same night. John runs away, you know, in the dark, naked, because he, he's got, you know, this robe on or something, and the authorities grab him, and he just keeps sprinting. And the rest of the disciples are just gone. They are not anywhere to be found. And Jesus dies alone on the cross. Because all of his followers were faithless. That's why the grace is so great. Jesus loves sinners. And he loves us. And he welcomes us. We don't confess our sins so that we can impress God with our repentance, so that we can measure up by, you know, making sure that we go through that list and, you know, it's exhaustive and God's really going to be proud of me now. No, we just, we come repentant 
and reverent because we're acknowledging the good grace that's given to us here. Uh, Michael Card is a Christian musician and Bible scholar, and, and, and he wrote a book on reflections of the life of Christ. And he was remembering when he was a college student taking the Lord's Supper, and it, and it dawned on him why we repent, why we come knowing that we're sinners. And he says, I realized that the call to examine our sins before we take communion was not placed there so that we can somehow make a full accounting of our sins and thereby be worthy to come to the table. That call to judge ourselves helps us to realize that we have no right whatsoever to be there. And that Jesus nonetheless welcomes you and me as his special guests to be astounded at his generosity to be astounded by this host who reminds us that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the full that need a feast, but the famished. It's not the righteous who needs salvation, but the unrighteous. Shouldn't, shouldn't the greatest shock at that future feast, not be that, I can't believe he's here. I can't believe she's here. Shouldn't it be, I can't believe I've got a seat at this table. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your grace to us. Uh, we know the right words to say. Uh, we, we know what end up being platitudes. We know we're sinners. We know we don't deserve your love. We know we don't deserve this meal. But we just pray that you would make this more and more a reality, that it would soften our hearts, that it would weigh on our minds more and more so that your grace and your love would be so much bigger to us, that we would really feel uh, the, the enormous beauty of this invitation, that we would wonder at the grace and the love and the justice of God on the cross in our place and that we would be mindful of one another and that we would be gracious to one another and forgiving toward one another and asking forgiveness of one another because it's just it delights us to glory in how much you have forgiven us Lord uh, change us just continue to mold us and shape us into the men and women and children that you want us to be that we will be one day when we finally do see how great your grace is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.